So, tonight, Good Friday, as you turn your Bibles over to the Gospel of Matthew and uh, chapter number 16. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 16. And as remember today, Good Friday, we think about the suffering and the crucifixion that our Lord Jesus Christ experienced, uh, not only, obviously, the physical uh, uh, assault and the pain and the suffering that he took upon himself on this day through the beating and, and through uh, the obvious crucifixion, but yet the, the, the mental aspect of that that he had to deal with in his life the torment that he had to experience uh, preparing to go to the cross. And we think about that, and we say, well, it's Good Friday, and human nature kind of wonders, well, what's so good about it? You know, human nature looks at that, and, you know, for, for Christians, we get it. For the most of us here understand that God sent his son for our sins to be um, taken upon him, Jesus Christ, but to the world, they look at his Good Friday and they know the story, but maybe haven't experienced God's love and God's transforming power and forgiveness of sin. And, you know, the natural mind says, well, I don't know anything that's good about that from a human perspective. But we need to understand, as, as, as men and women of God here uh, this evening, that Friday is the road to Resurrection Sunday. We know that. That because of today, we understand the ground is prepared. All that took place uh, on this day, and even we're going to look at the night before, the evening before this day, was a preparation for what is going to take place in a few days that we experience it's that Resurrection Sunday that we are going to be celebrating, the day that Jesus defeats death and hell and rises uh, to heaven to be at the right hand uh, of his Father. And so we understand that there is no resurrection without the cross, without the crucifixion, without the suffering and pain that Jesus uh, had to go through in his life. And, you know, we're going to read about Peter. And uh, as, as Brother Manny spoke about Peter, he liked to use him. Uh, obviously, Peter is an example. His humanity, his, his, his uh, uh, abruptness of speech and action, and etc. and so on, his denials, uh, are so human. And when it came to Jesus speaking to the disciples here uh, in our, our text, previous to what we're going to be reading, Jesus is speaking to them and saying, look, here's what's going to happen. Uh, the Son of Man is, is, is going to have to suffer some things, and he is going to be beaten, and he's going to have to be killed, but he will rise on the third day. And Peter wasn't happy about hearing that. He was disturbed about that. Human emotion the natural instinct of why, Lord, do you have to, if you're the Son of God, why must you go through this? And 
I think there's a tendency for us as human beings, not so much that we lose sight of the cross of Calvary and the suffering and the pain that the Son of Man went through and had to go through for our forgiveness of sins, but yet I think we maybe put it on a lower threshold than we do the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded, I believe, not just on what we call Good Friday, but constant remembrance of what Jesus did for us, for our sins to be forgiven. And yes, it was graphically portrayed in The Passion of Christ, that powerful movie that many people have seen and, and they're still showing. But yet, after the Easter celebration is over and, you know, we move on to the rest of our lives, there's a tendency to forget and to not put that, that emphasis on what Jesus did for me, the pain, the suffering, humiliation that he went through for my sins to be forgiven so that I could be called a child of God. And Peter was in that camp where he rebukes Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16 and verse 24. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, how many want to be followers or are followers of Jesus Christ here tonight? Yep, I, I, yep, well, I'm preaching to the choir. I, I believe we're all followers of Jesus Christ. And so here's what Jesus says that needs to happen. You must give up your own way, your own self-interest. Give them up. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your very own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And so Jesus was speaking to Peter, but yet he was making that statement to the disciples concerning uh, what needed to take place if they were going to be a follower of his uh, after he departed from this earth. And for you and I, many times, we hear about taking up our cross, dying to ourselves, and following Jesus daily. That doesn't come so easily. And for, for, as the truth be known, it doesn't even sound that exciting to do. Because we understand what Jesus had to go through. So let's follow the footsteps of Jesus as we prepare to kind of get in a little bit of understanding, which we've heard this before, but so important that we get a hold of it so that when the devil lies to you about, are you sure you want to be a Christian? Are you sure that you want to continue in the footsteps of Jesus? Are you sure you want to go ahead and go through what you're going through for the sake of Jesus? You'll remember and say, yes, because of what Jesus did for me, I'll do what it takes uh, to serve him. 
I will do what he wants me to do to be a follower of his. We look at the garden, and we know the story in the garden. The night before Jesus was crucified, he and his disciples, they took part prior to this uh, in the Last Supper where Jesus exposed the one who was going to betray him. And then from that point, they went into the garden. Think about the garden. At the beginning of creation in the book of Genesis, human history began in the garden. That garden was called the Garden of Eden. And that's where the first Adam sinned against God in this garden, and death entered into the world. But now here we come, a thousand years later, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, comes into another garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's in that garden to do what? Not to betray or to sin against his father, but to take on the cup that was given to him from his father so that death would be swallowed up in victory. And for those who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, their sins would be forgiven uh, and their names uh, would be written in the Lamb's book of life. Doesn't that sound good to you here this evening? You see, it began in the garden. And in Matthew chapter 26, and in verse 38, we get some insight into the mindset of Jesus before he has one piece of his beard plucked out, before the first person slaps him in the face, before he is beat and whipped uh, and his back torn open. Listen to the state that he's in. In verse 38, Matthew 26, Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved. Have you ever been grieved? Have you ever been grieved by someone or something? You know what that feels like. You know that emotion. But listen, he even goes further. And he says, I am deeply grieved even to death. This was the state of mind that the Son of Man was in. This was his mindset as he entered into the garden to begin to pray. And he speaks to the disciples and he says, Stay awake and pray with me. How many know some folks have a hard time staying awake in prayer? In fact, I'll take it even a little further. Some folks even have a hard time praying or even come into prayer, let alone staying awake in prayer. And Jesus was in this mindset where he was grieved and grieved unto death. And what was the remedy for it? A couple of Excedrin? Some Motrin? No, it was prayer. That's how important prayer is. Can you say amen tonight? And I believe that people fall into the state of apathy and people fall into this state of, of, of a slumber spiritually because they lack in their prayer life or they look at prayer as not being a necessity. 
And it's so important that if Jesus looked at it as a vital part of his preparation to do the will of God, how much more you and I need prayer to be prepared for whatever God is going to allow us to go through in life. This is why so many falter and fail and fall away because they lack in their prayer life. They look at it as being non-essential, and the devil is a liar tonight. Jesus prayed while his, we know, his disciples slept close by. And he continued to pray. He wasn't discouraged uh, while the disciples were sleeping. Don't get discouraged if you find that you're the only one of few who are in the prayer room praying before church uh, here at New Harvest. Pray even harder. Rise up and say, I'm going to pray. Believe God for my family. I'm going to pray for the church. I'm going to pray for the ministry. I'm going to pray for my children, my husband and wife. Jesus wasn't discouraged. He didn't stop praying. He sought the Lord even stronger. Listen. It says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, that's where you find out the will of God, and that's in prayer. You find the will of God and what God has prepared for you to endure in your life, and it comes as we seek the face of God. And Jesus was grieved unto death. Why was he grieved? Because of the cup, the mission that had to be completed. What was that cup? We kind of glance over that word cup, and that word cup is used in several ways in, in the Word of God. There's the obvious one that, that we're going to be talking about, but there's one in the Old Testament that's a metaphor and it refers to our lives. And that our lives can be filled like a cup with many things that we allow to come into our lives. We allow anger. We allow bitterness. We allow resentment. We allow hatred and unforgiveness and on and on. Those things that we take into our lives. And it was at the cross of Calvary that Jesus uh, was going to take upon those things in his, upon his life and defeat them for us to be able to move beyond those attitudes and, and those emotions that sometimes overwhelm us. In the Old Testament, it speaks about uh, the cup of wrath. And that, uh, G that God poured out uh, his wrath upon the people. And that Jesus is going to take on that wrath. And thank God he did that. Uh, the wrath of death and hell and destruction uh, took it upon his life. He knew the cup that he was going to have to drink for you and I. Then there was a cup the one that's most obvious that we know of crucifixion. One of the most feared and painful methods of execution in those days. 
And that form of execution was used to humiliate. And it was used on the most despicable and wicked criminals of those days. And they lumped Jesus in with those criminals. We know, we've seen movies, we've heard uh, testimonies of what Jesus had to go through in the physical aspect of crucifixion. That the pain was so horrific that there was a word designed to explain that for you and I in our vocabulary. And it uh, is called excruciating. Simply means, and literally the cross or from the cross. Have you ever been in excruciating pain? Oh, I got a paper cut. Oh, it's killing me. I got a splinter. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I want to go through it. I got this headache. It's excruciating. That's where we get that word from. So the next time you're feeling pain and you say it's excruciating, think about Jesus. And think about the excruciating pain on the cross that he had to experience in his life. This was the cup that experienced uh, the agony that he went through. The torment and agony that he went through as uh, he was preparing for that day. Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. And in verse 44, here we read about Jesus that even though he was already praying and he was pouring his soul out before God the Father, it says here, he prayed even more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And, and we, we've heard messages and we've heard illustrations about the great dro drops of blood and how that forms in the, the, the blood cells around the, the forehead, the sweat glands, surrounded by blood vessels, and uh, that when there is great agony taking place in a person's life, that those blood vessels begin to contract uh, and expand, contract and expand through the agonizing that a person is going through, and it's medically proven that blood will begin to come from those pores and sweat glands. This was the level of the anguish that Jesus was experiencing in his life. Why? Because he understood and he knew the painstaking torment and suffering in all the details from his arrest to his crucifixion that he was going to experience. Think about your life. When you go and you know, you know that tomorrow you're going to have to face something. You got a ticket, you're going to have to go to court. And you're going to have to stand there and plead your case if you're going to do that and find out whether you're going to have to pay it or not. Or maybe there's something you have to deal with and 
you know, you're agonizing, you're having to do that, and, and, and you're just you know, going through changes about it. Imagine, you're talking about just a ticket, maybe just having to confront someone, maybe just having to go take care of something, pay a bill, and you're agonizing about it. Jesus was agonizing about the pain and the anguish and the torture that he was going to have to experience because he was the Son of God, even being betrayed by one of his very own disciples. He knew he was going to have to go through several trials where all the witnesses against him would lie. He understood that only the people just a, a, a short time before were praising him and bowing down to him and adoring and worshiping him. And he knew that those were the people who were going to ask for him to be put to death. Can you imagine that? If you were to able to have insight tonight that tomorrow, everyone that you called your friend, everyone that, that loved you, would turn their backs on you and call for your death. Can you imagine the thought processes that you would be going through and the anguish that you would be experiencing if you knew ahead of time what was going to happen? He knew Jesus, we understand, knew in death that he would take on the sins of the world. The most terrible sins, the most terrible crimes that were, could ever have been committed during his day and forward. That he would take those sins upon himself in order to free those who believe in him from sin and death. Jesus told the disciples, if you're going to follow me, then you're going to have to take up your cross. The very thought that Jesus was speaking about death and crucifixion, the disciples were freaking out. Peter was freaking out because wasn't this the Son of God? He performed all these miracles he healed people. He raised people from the dead. He fed people miraculously, performed uh, all these miracles and all this wisdom from God. And now he's talking about dying. He's talking about being taken captive. And they saw his power and all the works that he did through God. And how is he now going to be so powerless? But you see, what the disciples was missing, were missing, and what sometimes we miss is found in the Gospel of John in chapter 12. Because too many times we look at our own strength, we look at our own power, we look at our own wisdom, our own ingenuity to try and get us through life, to try and get us to a place where we want to get and Jesus understood the disciples weren't comprehending 
what he was talking about concerning taking up his cross and following him. John chapter 12 and verse 24. It says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides or lives alone. But if it dies, it produces many. You see, Jesus wasn't just talking about a parable. He was talking about his own life, a picture of his own life, that for him, when he died, that through him, many would be saved, that many would be able to have a new life and a new beginning, but it first had to begin with death. You see, you and I here tonight, when we die to ourselves, we can begin to influence people through the power of God's Word and a, a changed life. Can you say amen tonight? As long as we're alive to ourselves and we're living our own life and we refuse to let go and let God have his way in our life and die, we're not going to have the impact that we would have had we surrendered completely and totally to God. And this is what Jesus was trying to speak to them about concerning taking up their cross. Die to yourself. Carry your cross daily, not just on Sunday, on Wednesday, or special services, but every day learn to die to yourself. It's so, so important that we understand and grasp that. You see, the Romans forced criminals to carry their own cross to the place of crucifixion. And when they did that, death was going to follow. That's the truth about taking up your own cross daily. Meant for you and I to do that. And there will be pain, and there will be suffering, and there should be death to self. And how many know we don't like to die to self? We love ourselves, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. We're in church. We spend time making ourselves up even some of the men, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we spend time dressing ourselves, grooming ourselves, getting the best things for ourselves. We do love ourselves. We love to hear ourselves speak truths to people and love to hear ourselves do whatever. And what Jesus is telling the disciples and he's speaking to you and I is, hey, cut that out that it is God through you that needs to live, as the Apostle Paul says. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And the disciples were having a hard time with that concept. First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 23, and we're talking about the footsteps of Jesus and how he's in the garden, and how he spoke to the disciples about their cross, and how he spoke to them about not living for themselves, but living for, for God. And the only way that happens is when we die to ourselves. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 
23. He said, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks it's foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You see, the cross of Christ is going to be foolish to some. It's going to be a stumbling block to some people. Yes, even maybe to some people who call themselves Christians. To where no longer is there needs to be self-denial. No longer is there maybe some pain when it comes to serving God and, and, and denying what we want. But now it's just all roses, petals, and everything's just great. You know, that's what it means to serve Jesus. So the question I have tonight, is the cross a stumbling block to you? What do I mean? Well, here's a couple of questions we can consider. Because I guarantee you, in this day and age that we are living in, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they've already tried to do away with Easter, and what's the word they call it now? It's some vacation thing. Taking away, not wanting to call it Easter, spring break or something. And it's going from there and starting to deny the truths of God's word, creation, And so it's become a stumbling block to a lot of people that, ah, well, that was in those days. You know, that was for those times. But, you know, this, these, this is the 21st century. We have to come up to the way things are and the way society says. And maybe some of those things weren't really true. And the truth of the gospel, the cross, has become foolishness to them. All that the cross represents so here's some questions. Are you willing to follow? Because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Isn't that what he said? Is that what he said? Some of you aren't sure. <laughs> That's what he said. So here's a couple of questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus? If it means losing your closest friends. What do you mean? Got my homeboys, got my homegirls, you know, they're my they're my compadres, you know, they're my 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 partners, you know, they're my roadies or whatever term you like to use. Are you willing to follow Jesus if they said, you know, we don't want to be your friend anymore? If you're gonna go to that church, if you're gonna be Jesus freak, what are you gonna say? How are you gonna react? Another question, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Ah, we're cutting you out of our will. Oh, wait, 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 let me rethink this. Because we, Jesus said that, that we're going to have to make decisions. And there is going to come division in family. There's going to come division in friendships. 
You, most of you, a lot of you, have experienced that. And the devil will continue to come back at you and re-question you. Did you make the right choice? Did you make the right decision? See, Nancy and I stopped going to our friends' parties and our family's parties. Uh, after we got saved, uh, we went to the weddings, we went to the birthday parties, uh, but when the drinking started, we disappeared. And that's just the way it was. And it's been that way for 46 years. And so we have to ask those questions. Here's another one. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your reputation? Not my reputation. I got 10 followers on social media. <laughs> my reputation? I mean, they, you know who I am. You, you know what people say about me. How about this one? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? <laughs> well, no, let's not get radical. Let's not get crazy, Pastor. You know, the first couple were okay. But now you're getting nosy. Now you're, you're, you're getting into business that doesn't belong I've lost so many jobs because of Jesus, huh, babe? I've left so many jobs when, when uh, our band, and you've, a lot of you heard this story, of when we were in the gospel band, and the band every, every summer would go on tour for two weeks. We'd go, like it or leave it, we'd go two weeks oh, to other states and, and, and play in churches. And I'd put in for vacation, and there were times when my job said, no, you can't go, and I said, okay, Sorry, but you got my two-week notice, and uh, that's it. Get another job. And you get another job. That's it. Because I had ministry. I was serving Jesus. Well, but that was in them days, Pastor. See, that was in the Jesus moving stuff. That's whenever you were a, a hippie with a long beard, right? That's, that's back then, but it's different nowadays. Really? Okay, I guess it must be if that's the way people look at it. But are you willing to lose your job to follow Jesus? Well, we'll see. How about this one? This is a huge one. I haven't been there yet. I don't think anybody here has been there, that, been there yet. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it meant your life? There are a lot of people in the world that are doing that. And it's happened. Why do I ask these questions? Because Jesus knew what he was going to go through. He understood the price that was going to be paid for the sins of the world to be forgiven. And for you and I here tonight, understand that when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, it meant Death, die to yourself, die to your desires, to your goals, and to your dreams, and what makes you feel good, and follow him. And see, that's pretty radical preaching nowadays. There's some that will accept that. But as Jesus said to the disciples, look out there, and you see the multitude... And they're lacking someone to help them. 
The harvest is plenteous. But there are a few laborers who want to sacrifice and die to themselves. You see, the cross is the place for you and I where we die to ourselves, our reputations, uh, who we are, who we think we are in the sight of people, and allow Jesus to take control of our circumstances. Why? So that if that seed falls into the ground and dies, it, it will spring up and bear fruit. Good Friday provides the opportunity to say, once I've been to the cross, that everything changes. My priorities, my goals, old things passed away. And now behold, all things become new in my life. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Galatians 2, 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So tonight, as our music ministry makes their way to the platform. The question that I have, are you, if you're not saved, serving Jesus, maybe you're backslidden, are you tired of living for yourself and doing things your own way and never seeing results and never experiencing the good things that God wants to bring in your life? Is there a sense of hopelessness because we're living in a world that is filled with fear, depression, anxiety, and hopelessness. And on this day that we call Good Friday, God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, filled this world with hope that if whoever believes on the Son of God and asks for forgiveness of their sins, uh, that they would have a new life that would be filled with hope and the future that only could come through a relationship with the Son of God. And maybe that's you here tonight. What has been causing anger and pain and frustration, bitterness in your life? Things haven't been working out the way you thought they might or they should. Then you need to come to Jesus. Today, Good Friday, the price that was paid for our iniquities, our ugliness, our sinfulness. Come to Jesus and let Him take those things upon Him. That cup that you fill yourself up with whatever it is that torments you. Won't you let Jesus take that cup? That was his mission. That's what God had for him to do. Resurrection Sunday. 
is coming, but first, there had to be a death, and there had to be the cross. And Jesus cried, it's finished. It's done. It's over. And on the cross, two phrases that we remember toward the end of his life. One of them, found in Matthew verse uh, 27, chapter 27, verse 46. He cries out to his father and he says, Why have you forsaken me? And then in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and verse 46, after he cries out that those cries of feeling forsaken, he says, Father, into your hands I entrust or commend my spirit. And the Bible says at that point, with those words, he breathed his last. Think about those two last phrases. He felt forsaken. Have you ever felt forsaken? Have you ever felt like you've just been left on your own? That God has left you on your own? Have you felt like no one cares about you? And you know what? It's, it's, you're just a lonely person. That was Jesus on the cross. But it didn't stop there. Because the last thing he says was... Into your hands I commend or I entrust my spirit, my life. You see, when you feel forsaken, you feel left alone. You feel like no one cares. You feel like you're out there by yourself. Trust God. Entrust your life. Entrust your spirit. Whatever it is, give it to God. And God will always take it and help you through those parts of your life. He will always see you through. He will never leave us, as Scripture says. He will never forsake us. And what does that mean? Total surrender at the feet of Jesus. Surrender tonight. Those of you who are not saved, those of you who are serving God, surrender to Him Put your trust in God as a man and woman of God. Put your faith in Him as the Son of God did on the cross in pain, excruciating pain. Surrender to Him. Everything Jesus allowed for His Father to take. You know, sometimes we hold on to stuff. Sometimes we don't want to let go. Jesus surrendered his life on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven. As we bow our heads for a few moments tonight, and as we close our eyes,